0: Hello, and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast, sponsored by MWW. My name is John Reynolds, a host. Coming up this week, we've got one of the architects behind the deal, which has seen the re-emergence of Martin Sorrell. Uh, this is Roger uh, Sargent, who is the director at Derriston uh, Capital, which is a company involved in the reverse takeover deal with Martin Sorrell. So Roger gives us a full expl- explanation of how the deal came about and also interesting details about how much power uh, Martin Sorrell will, will wield in the new company. We've also got Philip Thomas, the boss of Essential Events Business, uh, talking about this year's Can Lion Festival, and also Nigel Gilliam, who is representing the IPA, talking about the, um, why the trade body is kicking up such a fuss about Accenture, moving into programmatic buying and planning. Uh, Accenture were invited onto the podcast, but subsequently pulled out. Anyway, so first up, we have got uh, Roger Sargent. Okay, so uh, uh, thanks very much for uh, joining me, uh, Roger, on the podcast. So, you're a director of Berriston uh, Capital, which has been involved in the deal with Sir Martin Sorrell. Now, I guess the speed of this, um, the re emergence of Martin Sorrell, will have shocked many people. Can you just explain the basics of the deal? It's a, a reverse takeover, isn't it? Uh, that's correct, yes. Uh,
1: the, uh, the, the existing Shell Berriston is a, is a full list quoted company. Um, an empty company just with a um, cash in the account looking to do uh, acquisitions. Yeah. And uh, we were approached via Dowgate, um, our advisor, uh, <coughs> less, than a, less than a month ago, actually, about this uh, possibility. Obviously, we were excited with the fact that it was uh, Sir Martin involved, and we uh, quickly, quickly looked at that and decided it was the sort of deal we'd like to do. And uh, Sir Martin has set up a, a, a private investment company called S4 Capital, yeah. He's put 40 million of his own money in that, and there's 11 million from uh, some uh, funds, high profile funds gone in there. And yeah, we've agreed a deal to be able to purchase uh, the uh, S4 capital vehicle uh, and reverse that into our shell, which will make S4 a credit company.
0: Okay, so it's how these deals work, you were approached by a, a middleman, you weren't approached by Martin Sorrell directly. They approach you with this opportunity then? <laughs>
1: Right, well, not a middleman. It's Dowgate, um,
0: Dowgate, Capital are uh, our advisors. Right. Uh, Dowgate is backed by some
1: uh, very uh, quite powerful people, including um, uh, Nigel Ray. Yeah. Uh, N- Nigel is uh, friendly with Sir Martin, and uh, that's that's where the uh, introduction comes from.
0: Okay. And what's the for Martin Sorrell? What's the benefit of this type of deal? Why didn't he just set up his own company? Is it because it allows him to get a quick stock market listing? Is it or <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they, it takes a long time uh, these days with just the admin and the logistics you have to go through to get a quoted vehicle. Yeah. Obviously, Derriston was already there and existing.
0: There were existing relationships there, and it was a uh, yes. It was exactly what you say—a quick
1: way for him to uh, to get back into the
0: market. Okay. Um, in terms of um, in, in terms of moving forward, so Deriston, you, you as a director, you'll all the Derriston directors will leave, or will you stay on for a short time, or?
1: We're going to stay on until the first acquisition is actually done. So the first okay. operating company is, appeared. then um, we will be uh, leaving uh, leave you in the very capable hands of uh, Sir Martin and the board that he'll be
0: appointing. Okay. So from my understanding, I was just looking at the the stock market announcement. It looks one reading of it is if is Martin Sorrell actually have more power than he does at WPP. So he's just going to he's going to hold over, uh, from my understanding, seventy five percent of the shares, and he's got a lot of power about. Um, replacing directors and he's got to give consent on the replacement or appointment of directors, that, that's right is it?
1: Yeah that, that's correct There's a, it's colloquially known as a golden chair, uh, it gives him as exactly as you outline, a lot of power uh, within the company to do as he wishes I, uh, don't forget he's written a check out personally for £40 million so uh, he's entitled to quite a say just on the fact that he's, he owns most of the company anyway but in particular I think um, given what happened at uh, WPP and the fact that he's clearly got an incredible track record, he wants to be uh, able to call the shots and uh, put his vision in place. And the fact that uh, this golden share has been uh, obviously disclosed to everyone we've spoken to and all these incredible uh, blue chip institutions such as Rothschilds and uh, Mm. Tosca and the like have come in, they're happy to back Martin and give him that power to, uh, to do what he's good at.
0: Okay, but wasn't there, I mean, wasn't there a concern, certainly in the latter years at WPP, that he actually wielded too much power um, until he left, that some of the non-execs weren't uh, arguably doing their jobs and standing up to him? And it, it, is there a danger that there could be a similar scenario here now? Or? I, I,
1: I'm not uh, totally au okay fait with okay. the, um, with yeah.
0: the uh, machinations at WPP, but uh, all I can say is, if I have the choice of
1: putting my money with Samaritan and backing him, I'm happy to do so if that is the structure
0: that is required. Uh, okay, so and just I mean again, I'm not sure how much you can you, you'll know about this because I mean this new company This uh, is set up. It's building itself as a, a next generation advertising group uh, I mean presumably when you had conversations with him you would have got a bit more detail on how uh, In terms of acquisition and how it sees itself, um, you know, running moving forward
1: Yes, I, th- I think the beauty is here that um, as you will know better than me that the advertising marketing global Mm. communications market has changed enormously in the last 10 years even in the last five years with the advent of tech and digital yeah and WPP and all the other giants they uh, through no fault of their own just the way it worked they had legacy businesses in there yeah um, because they built up over over many years what what um and S4 now have is a blank sheet of paper Mm. they can start from scratch acquire as they wish to given given uh, Sir Martin's knowledge of the industry and where, where it is and where it's going to go, he can buy his wishes uh, in terms of technology, in terms of data, in terms of, of where the industry is going, and he can do that from scratch, and I think, uh, you know, that's going to give the center a huge advantage, because it won't have any of the, the legacy issues that uh, all the existing huge monoliths have got across the world.
0: Okay. So, and Martin Sorrell, as you say, is investing, I think, 40 million. There's 11 million from other investors and the possibility of a further 150 million, which sounds quite a lot. But I mean, if you look at the, as you say, if you look at WPP, Publicis and Omnicom, uh, this is relatively small money. So, um, I mean, it's okay to start off with, but presumably they'll need a a significant more investment moving forward, will they? Yeah, that, that
1: 150 is just the, um, just the initial commitment from um, existing investors we
2: haven't opened it up to the, to the bigger market yet okay. um, so that,
1: that was that's just the uh, initial starting point to show that we mean business um, we've also don't forget one of the reasons the deal has been structured this way is that we've got the equity the quoted equity within Derriston. yeah so you can you can use the equity to do share for share acquisitions as well as using cash and obviously
0: due course be the possibility of raising debt as well so yeah. all the Corporate finance toolkit at our hands to do as Sir as, 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 uh, Martin built the group. Okay, uh, and lastly, you said you're staying on until the first, acqu- uh, first acquisition. When, when's that likely to be then?
1: Um, I don't know, is the answer. We obviously don't like shares being suspended generally, and, and uh, the first deal will be done as soon as we are happy to do the first deal. Um, uh, I, can't, I can't tell you any more than that at the moment, obviously, but we are aiming to. Um, Announce and relist the shares. Announce the first acquisition as soon as possible.
0: It's first to say you, 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 he's talking to uh, other, uh, you know, about uh, possible deals at the moment now. So it's more than likely that it could be in the coming weeks, even. Um, I'd, I'd say okay. it's probably going to be a little longer in coming weeks because these are uh, sadly the way the system
1: works these days with the legals and the due diligence and the corporate finance and everything that you have to do. It, it takes it takes quite a long time to buy a company these days. So okay. I think it'll be more than a few weeks, but. Uh, as I say, as soon as possible.
0: Okay, uh, that's fantastic. Last couple of questions. Was uh, when when doing uh, when doing this deal, there was no um, you had no concerns or, or worries about how you know. Arguably, Martin Sora left for the, under a bit of a cloud at WPP. Was there any concerns about how he left WPP? And finally, do you think he's got a lot of uh, from the conversations you've had with him? Do you think he's got a lot of fight left in, left in him?
1: Yeah, I mean, just on on the on his leaving WPP. That again, I. I I'm um, not going to comment on, my, on my, what happened mm. there. It, in the, the, the key thing was, as has been uh, widely publicised, he had no uh, restricted covenants when he left, so he's free to do exactly as he wished to do. And uh, given that he left a, a £16 billion company behind him, he's uh, yes, we were extremely happy uh, to be backing him. And uh, in terms of the fire in his belly, I think the fact that uh, this has happened, I think it's within six weeks of him leaving.
0: I think that that tells you all you need to know. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Okay, so thanks for um, joining me on the uh, podcast, Nigel. So you're talking on behalf of the IPA, the trade body, which represents advertising agencies and media agencies in the UK. Now, you're here to talk about the stance taken by the uh, IPA, which has basically had a pop at Accenture, the consultancy giant, for launching a new programmatic media planning and, media, uh, media and buy in unit. So, what's the, what's the IPA's issue with um, uh, Accenture's programmatic unit? Uh, it's not the programmatic unit itself that's a problem, it's uh, that no
3: business can legitimately offer competing media services to a market um, where it has a media auditor's access to confidential client and agency media data and financial information, of course.
0: Right, okay. But I mean, from my understanding, um, Accenture's media auditing business is very small. Uh, I think they've got Ford as a client. Is, is it more significant the fact that they're also acting as, as a pitch consultant than an auditor? Is that where the conflict lies at? I, no, I mean, I think it's across both. Um,
3: you know, we're also, we're hardly alone in this statement. Uh, the 4A's have made a similar one. And, and even Isber has said, you know, clearly as Accenture also an auditor, it may... Re- conflict of interest. I think um, Graham Brown of MediaSense also said if they want to be a solutions provider, they can't also be marking competitors' homework. So, you know, mm. there's, there's a broad spectrum of dismay here, but but it's both the auditing uh, and the, the pitch consulting business. I mean, also, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, it, with regard to either side, you know, either they intend to grow it, which would therefore clearly be a growing problem of conflict of interest, mm. or they don't. Um, in which case, you know, as, you, as your colleague Dominic Mills said, it can sacrifice the auditing business
0: and not even notice. Okay. I mean, I, I guess if you take a st- step back, one way of looking at this is um, criticism of this move is simply a smokescreen. Basically, media agencies are just worried about competition from uh, whether it be Accenture, Deloitte or McKinsey. Not only are these consultancies helping clients bypass media agencies by advising them on in-housing, but media agencies are also frightened Uh, because arguably they're offering clients a more compelling offer uh, because they're doing the whole sort of um, end-to-end solution for clients, are they, everything from strategy, insight to IT support to new product development? Yeah, I mean, you know, those various areas that they're they're talking about joining together,
3: that's fine. You know, we've not made an issue out of them setting up Mm. uh, a self-serve programmatic unit, which is obviously the, the latest announcement. If advertisers want to pay a consultancy to provide a platform where the advertiser then does all the work, you know, it's very much their decision. It's
0: the, the issue uh, with the conflict uh, presented by their legacy business that, mm. that we're
3: really concerned about.
0: Okay, and but I mean, is it not a bit rich for media agencies to accuse um, uh, consultants of conflicts of interest when media agencies can be accused of conflicts of interest? I mean, if you think about uh, a media agency advising a client to use a, a trading desk which is owned by the same holding group, is that not a conflict of interest? Or if an agency does an upfront deal with, say... Uh, YouTube promising to spend £100, know, 100 million pounds and then advises the client to spend on YouTube. Could't the client be understandably concerned about why they're steering them onto youtube if, if it's to fill that quota? Well
3: I, I mean I'd point out that uh, you know Accenture have done a, a remarkable job here of aligning media agencies, media auditors, and pitch consultants in, in their dismay at this move. You know agencies face a tremendous degree of, of oversight. And, and frankly, you know, depending on whether you're a, a graphic novel man or a, a, a Latin man, you know, who watches The Watchmen? Quis custodiat, ipsos custodes,
2: not very good at my Latin. <laughs> uh, you know, who guards the guards themselves? They, there's a real issue here um, okay. of a, a
3: marketplace where transparency and conflict of interest has been, um, you know, a headline news, and,
2: and yet we
0: have someone coming in with a very clear
3: Problem with impartiality in this
0: space. Okay, and have you heard of any holding companies which are refusing to participate in pitches involving Accenture uh, as a consultant or uh, accept them into the agency as, as an auditor because of this move or not?
3: I mean, on behalf of our members, we're now saying it's inappropriate for Accenture to run pitches and, and media audits. We'd urge all agencies to take this moment to think critically about whether they will continue participating in any review that Accenture is leading and determine if they will allow Accenture to continue auditing their media. Uh, beyond that, it's obviously problematic for us uh, as, as an association body to, to you know, not fall foul of uh, anti-competition law. So, um, you, the conversations we have are, are, are limited to advice on our part. Um, to
0: our individual member agencies. Okay, alright, okay, thanks very much. Uh... Okay, so uh, thanks for joining me uh, Phil. So you're the Chief Executive of Essential Events Division, which runs the Can Lion International Festival of Creativity. Now I think most of the listeners to the podcast will know about the festival, and many in fact will be going this year. Uh, so first up, uh, your role is changing, you're moving to Chairman of the festival later this year. Uh, but I guess for this particular festival you would be very much hands-on because there's lots of changes to uh, can lie on the, uh, this year. So first up, congratulations on the job. Um, how heavily will you be involved in the festival this year, which obviously starts on June the 18th, and what are the implications of you becoming chairman?
2: Well, I'll be reasonably involved. You know, I've been chief executive of the festival for 12, 10, 10, years, mm-hmm. 10 years, something like that, before I took my current role. Um, and Terry Savage is the current chairman of festival is retiring from uh, the festival so I'm kind of taking over from him and I'll be advising Jose Papa who's the managing director and working with him and partnering with him on it so I'll still be involved but not on a day-to-day
0: basis. And when are you, when are you moving to chairman? Uh, after this festival. Okay so let's talk about the some big changes I guess these are some of the biggest changes uh, to the festival which have occurred in recent years so first up I guess arguably the most significant changes. You're reducing the number of days from 8 to 5, so what's the thinking behind this then?
2: There are really two things. Uh, Our data showed that 80% of the people that come to Cannes are there between Monday and Friday, which Mm -hmm. is quite interesting. So the vast majority of people are really only there during the working week. Then we had some comments from some of our bigger partners that you know, one of the big expenses, of course, of Cannes is that people stay away from the office. That's an opportunity cost. There's the hotels. There's, the, there's, there's just the living mm-hmm. expenses. So we thought, if we, could, if we could actually deliver what we want to do within five days, would that then help in, in regards to how, how long people have to be away? And it was just a question of can we get a court into a pint pot? Can we physically do it? Can we get the awards out and the speeches that we want to get out? In, in five days. We worked out we could and so um, that's what we're going to
0: do. Okay, so some of this feedback, was this from the big agency groups who were uh, sort of arguing, that or not arguing, but sort of floating the idea that it could be, it's more suitable to have a shorter festival than all.
2: It did include the big agency groups, it really included all the people who send a lot of people, so if you if you're a company that sends a hundred people that gets quite expensive, you just got to multiply a hotel room by a hundred nights and that's something that's very very expensive. So it was our bigger customers who were saying, you know, we send hundreds of people and it, this would really help us. I also think that it might make the festival more cohesive because, as you might well know, people used to come in. Mm-hmm. They might come in on the beginning of the week and then leave and then another lot would come in in the midweek and stay till the end. Hopefully what will happen this year is that everybody will stay for a full five days so it will be kind of a richer experience.
0: And you've had some positive feedback so far about the plans then, I guess.
2: Yeah, we've had very positive feedback. I mean, there, there are two really big things we're doing. One is moving that uh, to five days. Uh, the other is the change in the awards, um, which is really significant in terms, of, uh, in terms of what we've done with the awards structure.
0: Okay, we'll go on to talk about that. Just briefly on this, obviously it was, it was quite a, a big announcement when publicists said they weren't attending the festival this year. Uh, Now, the publicists said the reason is part of a a company-wide ban on attending any awards or trade show for a year. So just to be clear, publicists never had a particular issue with Cannes did they? No, and thanks
2: for pointing that out. Many people are saying they kind of pulled out of Cannes. They were very, very clear that they weren't pulling out of Cannes. They were stopping, as you say, all awards and all events uh, in order to invest their money elsewhere. And they also said numerous times over and over again that we will be back. In 2019, bigger and better than ever. So it was never a. It was never about Can. It became about Can because obviously they announced it in Can, which wasn't very helpful. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it wasn't really about
0: Can. Okay, but I mean, it's fair to say there has been some concern from the um, big holding groups. Uh, before I came out, I saw a brief interview with Martin Sorrell, obviously no longer at WPP, who was quoted. He said he'd become antsy with the way Can was going. Uh, Sat- Sorrell said he'd spoken to a number of holding groups who had concerns about the festival, and his quote was. Uh, excess of CAN became obvious last year, which is 2016, and then became more obvious this year. And he also um, he also had a pop. It, uh, I guess you guys, for saying he also called you out for uh, unacceptable practice in demanding a, a WPP agency had to enter a separate awards program, uh, the Eurobest Awards, run by Essential to become a, a CAN judge. So, I mean, there has been um, some concern from agencies, but uh, what you're saying is the changes that you've made... Um, They've been happy with the changes that you've you've actually made to um, address this. Then,
2: yeah. So that's quite a long question. Yeah. Sure. So, so a bit about um, unacceptable practices, we've been asking for the proof of that um, ever since that was said. Right. We've received the proof of it. can okay. We refute it very very strongly, and um, until we see the proof of it, we can't really uh, look at it. In terms of CAN, though, which is kind of slightly more important, um, yeah. I think I think that's that's probably the view of of some of the advertising agencies they talk about excess you know who is it that's really um, being excessive at Cannes I mean it's the people who go to Cannes isn't it so I think that uh, the people who attend Cannes could probably look at their own behaviour and the behaviour of the people that they send perhaps our responsibility is to make sure that we're providing a platform for the people who we care about which are the people who produce the creative work so we're there to help companies become more creative mm. we're, we're there to try and link creativity to business growth and we do that by honoring and celebrating fantastic work and by putting as interesting speakers as we possibly can on the stage what happens at some uh, villa mm. up mm. in the hills and whether people drink too mm. much rosé is completely out of our control
0: mm. So you think you may have been unduly criticised in the past by people who are attending when they should um, you know, look closer to home then, maybe?
2: I don't think there's a lot of looking closer to home, to be honest with you. Um, right. I think we've got our own responsibilities and we try and address them as much as we can. But what we're not poss- what's not possible for us to do is to control everything that happens in the city. Because people do get a little confused about our role. They sometimes think that we have control over things that happen on the beaches or in the city, mm-hmm. and we don't actually, because they are deals done between individual companies and the hotels, and we don't have anything to do with those.
0: Okay, um, I had a quick look at the uh, 2017 annual report uh, before I came. So festival revenues, correct me if I'm wrong on this, were, I think, uh, for canlion can lie, over 65 million uh, last year. Um, do you expect them to be higher this year? And I think you had 40,000 award entries and 10,000 paying delegates. Are you, do you know if you're going to be up or down on those figures this year? Or uh, We don't know yet. And I don't
2: think I'm allowed to say because we're a public okay. company. But what I can say is if you think about... So we've, we touched a second ago on what we did with the awards. If you think about the awards side, we got rid of three really big categories. You know, cyber, promo yeah. and uh, integrated... We killed 120 subcategories, mm. we limited the number of times a piece of work could be entered into the festival and on top of that, publicists pulled out, mm. so when we have the final reckoning I would be pretty astonished if our numbers didn't go down.
0: Okay, so you mentioned that, so th- this, this whole change, it's, um, uh, y- you've got these nine tracks, is that right? So, right, yeah. so what's the thinking of doing it that way? Well, it? It's just to try and have an
2: organising principle across the festival um, to try and help because as marketing becomes so complex, mm. we wanted to try and help people navigate the festival, navigate the lines, and uh, be able to focus what on the area that they're most interested in. So that was really about the tracks. But when it came to cutting the categories, what that was about was. People were saying, you know, the same piece of work wins a lot, and can we have a mm. bit more diversity in the work that wins? Um, and can we make it slightly harder to win a lion? And really, that's what we we were responding to. So we we feel we've responded to those to those requests, and yeah, we are going to take a financial hit for it.
0: Uh, you but you don't know what that will be then. You don't, don't know. If we
2: don't know yet because people are still registering. I mean, we're not even anywhere near. The final number of registrations, and, and actually,
0: people are still entering really well. All right, okay. So, the last point on, on Publicist obviously, they've got their own event, Vivatech now. Do, do, do you see that as a, a competition? Can you conceivably see the six big holding groups doing their own events as a sort of a arrival to CAN going forward?
2: Well, Vivatech is Publicist, as you say. Uh, I haven't actually been to Vivatech, but I understand it is a little bit more of a kind of exhibition than CAN hmm. is. Um, so I can't really comment on Vivatech. Tech. In terms of the holding companies getting together and doing a rival, they could do, of course, uh, but I suppose that it's not really their business. I mean, we're event organisers, that's mm. the thing, okay. and they're advertising agencies, so there would be nothing to stop them doing it, of course, but um, I'm not sure they could be bothered, really.
0: Okay. So just for the listeners, Cam Lyon, I mean, why are they still relevant? I mean, is there evidence that it does lift... Uh, Produce a lifting ROI? Does it help grow businesses? Do in, in, uh, agencies take them into, um, if the land, they win a can line, do they go into pictures? I mean, is that something to celebrate? I guess it still is, is it?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so much evidence that uh, creativity drives um, growth and ROI. Uh, I could quote numerous studies from McDonald's and from Heineken, from a piece of work that McKinsey did with us, mm-hmm. uh, from IPA work. Um, it's all available for people to to look at Um, you know there was a white paper that we did with McKinsey last year linking line winners to innovation and you know there's just a huge amount of uh, evidence that creativity drives business success and the thing about creativity is quite hard to measure Mm. it's quite subjective and so I think the role of the role of awards in that is to have a kind of benchmark so in other words this is a good piece of work because some very, very smart people say it's a good piece of work. And it's also an opportunity for people to va- evaluate whether they're doing good, doing good work and, and how to improve that. And then when it comes to agencies, yeah, it definitely uh, attracts talent. It definitely attracts uh, and retains talent um, and uh, I'm told that people go into pitches armed with their lines to show their credentials. So I think there's still a role for it, for sure.
0: Okay, one thing we didn't touch on, who are the, the big speakers? You've got some big first name, um, first time speakers at Cannes this year then, have you?
2: We have, yeah, we've got the usual uh, the, uh, scattering of stars like Ridley Scott, Johnny Marr, um, Tandy <laughs> Newton, and uh, people like that, Michael Wolfe, the author of the Fr- mm. Fr- Fire and Fury book. Uh, the people we're most interested in are industry legends like David Droger and Colleen DeCourcy and Jeff Goodby and people like that. Um, But then there are new speakers that have never spoken before. So Apple's never spoken at Cannes. I don't think they've spoken anywhere much. Uh, Amazon have never spoken at Cannes. So I think uh, those will be interesting. Alibaba and Tencent from China, again, would be very interesting. So we have uh, a very broad range of speakers, as we always do.
0: But you're moving away from, uh, you're going to have less celebrity speakers this time moving forward then, are you? Yeah,
2: I mean, one of the, we, we get quite a bit of feedback that the celebrity speakers don't always hit the spot. So okay. we've cut back on that and we'll see what people think.
0: Okay, um, so I mean, just in terms of our looks at some of the, um, well, I'm, I'm cognizant of, of previous winners, uh, playing devil's advocate... Um, are obviously judged by creative experts, which is fine, but I guess you could argue that some of these, um, some of the winners don't chime with, the, or resonate with the, the wider public. Um, do you think that's a fair observation or not? Have, 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 have winners in the past been um, you know, quite niche maybe, in a way, or not, or?
2: I think some of them. Um, yeah, sure, well, we've got like 3,000 yeah. winners each year. But if you include the big winners, really, the famous winners of late, uh, I don't think you could say that things like Fear, Fearless Girl didn't resonate if you mm. think about the fame of that or Like a Girl which was the PNG piece uh, some of the stuff that Channel 4 have done uh, the John Lewis work out of London you know there's, there's a lot of very very famous work and the juries that judge the work these days they want to, they want to give the awards to famous big brand work because they understand that that's really the whole point of why we're all there
0: Okay, so I mean, there's lots to talk about big brands, big agencies. Um, is it difficult to sell to smaller agencies? Because the entry levels are the same, it's like universal isn't it? You don't offer any um, discounts or for smaller agencies is it?
2: No, we um, w- we believe that really everybody should have the same route to the stage at Cannes, so it should be the same for everybody, the chance of winning a line, the cost of winning a line should be exactly the same for everybody. Because we have big companies coming to us and saying, can you cut your prices because we spent so much money with you? We have little companies saying we can't afford it, can you cut your prices? Yeah. Our, re- our response to that is, everybody. it would be unfair if somebody had the opportunity to win a lion at a cheaper cost. Right? So that's the thing. In to the First Question, smaller agencies, that is one of our biggest growth areas actually, no, really? independent agencies. Because- Growing like topsy, is the network agencies that are, that are struggling
0: a bit. Okay, and just in terms of um, uh, can obviously there's been some uh, discussion on whether it is a, a suitable venue going forward. But I mean, you've got you having no discussions about um, or looking at alternative venues. I mean, I guess you know it could be um, you know difficult to to get to for some people, and it is as you say um, you know expensive, isn't it too? Yeah, I mean you know.
2: Martin Sorrell said why don't you move it to New York
0: I don't you see and this goes back to
2: um, Martin Sorrell's not an event organiser because if he was he would be like I've done which is actually to audit the prices of hotels in New York when there are big events on so you can actually do that because we run events I run in my department in my bit of Ascension. I run events in Las Vegas in Dubai Mm. in Singapore and all over the world so we kind of know how much it costs to to put you know for people to go to an event. And to be honest, move it, if you move if we move can lines to New York, I can guarantee it would be more expensive to people. That may be hard to believe, but it would be because we, we actually know the facts. Mm. Um, the benefits of can I think are you can take over the city when you've got an event. You can actually the whole industry can take over the city. It's very easy to navigate. Um, it's, it's, it's it's copable with. If you have it in New York or London, it kind of disappears. The events just kind of disappear, so that's difficult. Uh, but having said that, we've worked with the City and I know the other big events at can as well, mm. especially the Film Festival, are working with the City and saying to the hotels, you know, really enough is enough and they're very aware of that. So we have tried Mm. To make it cheaper for people, we keep the prices down as much as we possibly can, and I think the city of Canth are, are, are actually responding to that.
0: Okay, I noticed. Um, is, is it? I detect maybe some bad blood between you and Martin Sorrell, as they just stem back from the unacceptable practice. I noticed. So he's speaking at Cantu too, isn't he? But you didn't mention yeah, him as one yeah, of the big speakers. Do no, you no think he's being talking too much? Um, about no, stuff he doesn't no, know. There's no bad blood. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's entitled
2: to say, you know, whatever he wants. It's absolutely fine, but. I think uh, I
0: can also say what I think about it as well. Yeah. Okay. No. And um, another uh, big issue is, or um, well, has been uh, for the past twelve months, about uh, women's empowerment. I noticed L'Oreal are doing a show about women's empowerment, uh, empowerment, uh, and women can are calling for women to wear to black at Can Lion. So I'm not sure how big an event that is. But I mean, is empowerment of women is that? A, I guess it's not a theme at the festival this year, but there is a presence there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot
2: in that regard, so we've got our See It Be programme, which is a mentoring programme for young women moving up into creative leadership positions, that's something that we invest a lot of money in, we're part of the Stereotype Alliance, we're running an RGA Female Founders Startup Academy, we've obviously got the Glass Lions, etc, etc. So, gender and diversity is something that we, um, we invest quite a lot in, I mean, we give all of our revenues from the Glass Lions to charities. Gender charities. Um, uh, in fact, we added it up the other day. We give about a million, about a million pounds, roughly a million pounds every year to various uh, causes. So um, that's quite a big thing for us. And then on the stage, of course, it can there are always quite a lot of speeches about this exact subject. Because mm. I think it is a big issue for the industry. Um, and it's one that is really exercising the minds of a, lot of a lot of big brands and big agencies so yeah it's bound to come up in Cannes for sure it definitely will
0: Okay and finally as a pitch to agencies and, and clients and media owners why should they continue to get themselves and um, to compete for Cannes Lion and, and get themselves to Cannes every year
2: Because creativity as many many businesses have accepted creativity is one of the true differentiators that you can go forward with when everything else is so commoditized. Creativity is the thing that will actually differentiate your business and it is one of the very few things that will drive growth. And CAN is the place where you can meet the people who are doing the great work, you can be inspired by the great work, and you can create connections and networks with uh, with truly creative people that are going to make a difference to your business. And that's really what we've always stood for and what we continue to stand for.
0: Okay. All right. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Phil. That's great.